but I love the attitude that he just wants to go out there and he wants to do things that have never been done before. Welcome back to The Fanalist. This is episode seven and we're glad to have you. It's a big episode for us. We're gonna have our first interview and, and we're really excited to see what you guys think about that. So we have some big topics this week and we're gonna get right into it. We're gonna start with our players of the week this week because we're gonna finish up with the interview and our guest Dylan Lamoureux is gonna be part of Locked On and Left Field. So we're gonna finish up with that. All right, so I guess we'll kick things off with our players of the week. Brett, who do you got this week? So I have Andre Vasilevsky. He he started off this week with a big win, 34 saves, allowing two goals, and then followed it up with back-to-back shutouts. He's actually had some questions about him, uh, despite Tampa being so good this year, and I think that's just something you're going to get with a young goalie, but he is the future of the NHL as far as elite goaltending, and I think uh, his age kind of gets overlooked because he's been so good for so long. So my player of the week this week is Andre Vasilevsky. Not only is he getting overlooked about his age, but he's not getting quite the attention because of how much attention is being sucked in by the North Division. So shout out to Andre Vasilevsky. He had quite the week this week. All right. And my player, I'm sticking in Florida, but going over to the Panthers. I've got Frank Vetrano. So he, he started his career undrafted, got picked up by Boston, and now he's playing top-line minutes with Barkov in Florida and putting up points. Like He's scored in each of his last four games. His last game, he scored two goals, started on the fourth line at the start of the season, and has very quickly moved up the Florida lineup. So I'm excited to highlight this guy, and I just picked him up on Fantasy to like hope that he keeps this trajectory going and keeps scoring points for me. Yeah, I I think he he's kind of had a little bit of a rocky start to to his NHL career, and there was a lot of high hopes, and it looks like he's uh, getting that going. So I'm happy for him. Yeah, that's he he's gone through a few seasons where he's been sub 40 points, and now over the past couple of years, he started to pick up production, and hopefully, he can keep going with it. So since we started with. Two hockey players as our player of the week. Do you want to go into our central division? Yeah, let's do that. That sounds good. Uh, let me just bring them up. <laughs> All right, I did notice that our teams our teams stay pretty similar. I think we kind of have a similar philosophy to our teams as far as statistics and what we think is a big deal. So while you're pulling that up, I'm going to just jump into my forwards. Uh, starting with Jonathan Huberto, Barkov, and uh, Kane, they've all had unreal seasons. Barkov is super slept on by the entire league because of playing in Florida. And if you're a real hockey fan, you got to tune into to some of those games and see what Huberto and Barkov do on a night-to-night basis. It's just something to watch. I don't think anyone had them picked out to be one of the most competitive teams in their division, but they are taking the league by storm. And then my second line is Line Aho Pavelski. Line has been having a way bigger impact than I could have ever expected since coming to Columbus. And I don't see any reason for it not to continue. 
as far as Aho goes, he's showing over and over again that he's an elite level player in this league and not everyone knows him to be a household name, which is really a shame. He plays the game the right way on both ends of the ice and he has that high end ability and similar to your Barkov, if you're only watching the North Division, you know you're missing out on this guy. He's really bringing it on a high level this year. We also have Pavelski on my on the wing on that line. He's really having a good year despite the COVID struggles of Dallas. And I think if Dallas is going to turn around, he's going to be a huge part of that. Yeah, I agree. I think Pavelski has had a weirdly good year this year. I don't think anyone expected him to play quite as well as he had so far. Yeah, it looks like San Jose really could have used him, to be honest. But I'm good, glad for him. He's he's uh, continuing to have a great career. So I think he made the right move, uh, jump and ship at the right time. My third line uh, ends up being Debrinkat, Stamkos, and Atkinson. Debrinkat uh, is one of the driving forces of the resurgence of the Blackhawks, obviously, along with Patrick Kane. He struggled a little bit out of the gate, but he has his game back, and he looks like he's going to continue on that pace of being a high-level player for them. I can't believe Stamkos is on my third line, but Stamkos is, is Stamkos. His value speaks for himself. He's had a ton of injuries. He comes back, and he just does what he does. He scores goals. He has an impact on the game. I'm going to put him at center because, well, we all know that that's where he wants to play despite uh, what goes on in Tampa at different times. But I think uh, when you have a star player like that, you should try to make them happy the best you can. And then I have Cam Atkinson on the other side of this line. Cam Atkinson manages to have an offensive impact on a very structured team like Columbus. I don't think it can be stated enough that it's not always that easy to have that impact within a structure like that. And he really has brought that next level to his game over the past couple of years. He's really a, a player that's flourished under torts. And I, I think that's great for him. He, he's a, a very interesting player. He's super fun to watch. And I'm glad to see him really kind of having a lot of success this season. Yeah, and him and Line playing together have been wicked so far. Yeah, I think that allows the Blue Jackets to have an offensive line, which you couldn't necessarily years before pick a line that you thought was going to carry the offense for them. This year, I, I don't think you can debate much that that line is going to carry the offense for them. And then my, my fourth line is where our, our stuff kind of differs a little bit. Uh, I have Forsberg. I think you have Forsberg a little bit higher. He's another one of those guys where his team's struggling, but he's still producing, and I think that that has a lot of value. I hope for his sake uh, he gets out in Nashville and doesn't sink with the ship. That's not just me being a Leaf fan and hearing the rumblings that they might be interested. I don't know that that is a great fit. But he's a great player, and I want to see him be able to have more of an impact on the league than he's going to be able to have in Nashville in the coming years by the look of it. I also have Braden Point in the center of this line. Uh, Braden Point has burst onto the scene and made everyone realize that 
Uh, not only did he have uh, a really good breakout year, but he's going to continue to do that. And I think that's why he's got to be on my lineup. He's just a player that not everyone expected to be an elite level player. And he's showing no signs of slowing down on that. So I have him on my fourth line. And that really shows the depth of this central division. And then on my wing on the opposite side, I have Bobby Ryan. A lot of people are probably uh, not really sure about that. But honestly, uh, you got to have a Detroit guy on your central division team. I tried to make sure I had a player from each team. And Bobby Ryan is that guy. If you're going to take a guy off Detroit, he's coming back from what has really been a struggle on a prove yourself $1 million a year contract. Uh, his story, you just have to love it. He comes back from some substance abuse issues and, and is returning to form as a former second overall pick. I don't think he's going to get back to that based on his age, but he's having an impact, and uh, that's opening some teams' eyes for him being an option to pick up for a playoff run, and he's been shown to be a, a good guy to have on your team in that kind of situation. He he can play physical. He, he seems to have a little bit of that clutch gene. Not everyone believes in that, but I tend to, and I think he's got it. He was a big factor for Ottawa in, in their run a couple years ago before they blew it up, and I think uh, – He's getting his life together, and he's going to continue to progress back to being a high-level NHL player. Yeah, I had a really hard time not putting Bobby Ryan on my team. I was flip-flopping back and forth between Bobby Ryan and Forsberg for a while. Even though Forsberg is definitely the statistically higher-skilled player, he's also on a better team and on a better line, whereas Bobby Ryan is... He's like you said, he's coming out of that addiction stuff, right? So, I I really had a hard time not slotting him into my fourth line. So I'm glad that you put him on there because it's he's a player that I I enjoy talking about. Yeah, I just want to take a quick shot at the Senators before you jump into your team. Yeah, are you kidding me? You got low. You have so much cap space, and his contract didn't have that many years left by the time his contract is up. Uh, you are going to have to uh, make some moves and sign some of your players longer term. But this guy, being a vet, going through what he, he's been through, he could have had a huge impact on your young players. And that's a huge missed opportunity. You buy him out, he goes to Detroit, and he signs for a million dollars, and he's making you look like a fool right now. You're still going to have to pay him and he's playing for another team when he really could have had an impact on your young players and helping them be better pros than he was at different points in his career. Yeah, I agree with that. I think he's a he's a really good character guy for any team now. Yeah, I think he is a really good um, example of A, being able to bounce back, and B, being able to sit there and be like, listen, I was on your path, and I don't think you should continue going this way. And I think it's a little easier to listen to another NHL player than it is to listen to somebody else who isn't living your lifestyle. Yeah, 
Definitely. All right, then I'll, I'll jump into my lines. All right, bud, let's hear it. All right, I've got Line A, Stamkos, and Kane. I had a very hard time putting Line A on my top line. I debated that for longer than I probably should have, but I ended up leaving him there just because of the elite talent that he is and the elite scoring ability that he has. And then putting him with Kane and Stamkos, I think Stamkos is the kind of guy that just reads the play really well, so is Kane. So that line is just a points powerhouse, and they're just going to be able to put the puck in the back of the net before you even know that they have the puck. My second line is Huberdeau, Trocek, and Pavelski. So I noticed Trocek isn't even on your team, and he was a guy that I kind of forgot about. And then as I was going through the teams just looking at stats – I kind of had a holy shit moment because he's got 12 goals on the season so far, even with Carolina being out with some, uh, some COVID stuff or, or being, having postponed yeah. games because of their division. Right. Um, so he's got 12 goals and seven assists on the season. So I had to stick him into my second line, especially beside a guy like Huberto because Huberto has been a monster feeding Barkov the puck all season. I think Huberto has like 16 assists or something. So those two together will be insane. And then like we talked about with Pavelski, he's just having a year that no one expected where he's playing significantly better than anyone expected him to. So my third line, I've got Debrinkat, Barkov, and Atkinson. I initially had Barkov on my second line, but as soon as I saw Trocek's numbers, I had to move Barkov down and move Trocek up. I think Barkov is an elite forward. He's an elite center that, like you said, is slept on by the rest of the league. But I wanted to put him with a couple of guys that are kind of workhorses on their team with Debrinkat and Atkinson. I just think that line will be really hard to play against. And then my fourth line... I've got Forsberg, Aho, and Hornquist. I yeah, I moved Aho right down to the fourth line. I was also actually debating with Point on that fourth line whether to put Point or Aho, but I just like Aho as a player. I've always liked him, so he made the cut over Point for me. Forsberg, like you said, he's just having a really great year on a team that's not playing so well, and then Hornquist. Honestly, was kind of just a throw-in player because he's playing well and he fit the role there. <laughs> so honestly, I've been blown away with Hornquist. I think there's a real thorn in his side of being discarded from Pittsburgh. I I think you've seen a little bit too what's going on in Pittsburgh that he might have had more of an impact than was previously thought about. He plays a different role than a lot of their players play and and. He's having an impact in Florida, and since he's left, Pittsburgh has struggled to find a guy to do what he did, and uh, they said that he's slow, but let's be honest, he makes his money standing in front of the net a lot, and you don't need to be the fastest guy in the NHL to do that, and I think that was a little bit of an oversight by Pittsburgh, and I'm super happy to see Patrick Hornquist continue to have success. Yeah, I agree. It's it's good to see players, when they get traded from a team they've been with for a while, have success. Yeah, like I, I'm not saying that I 
that I ever don't want to see a guy have success, but I always like to see a guy who who feels like he's losing an opportunity go somewhere else and make an opportunity, and that's what you've seen with Patrick Hornquist, is he's went to Florida and made himself an opportunity to continue to be an impact player. So looking at our lines, I think this is the most different setup that we've had so far. We've got a lot of the same players, but a very different order. So this one should be good. So we both got Kane on our top line. So I think that's a lock. We can leave Kane on that top right wing. I've got Stamkos in the center. You've got Barkov. I would be okay with flipping those two on my line. Put Stamkos on the third line. Put Barkov on the first line, which is what you have anyways. I'm into that. My biggest thing is I would be willing to, for the for how our simulation is going to go, I'm willing to agree with you and move line A and switch Huberto because of like ultimately we're going to run the simulation in NHL and I've seen how two playmakers work uh, together on a top line. It, it's not super effective. So put a little bit of goal scoring ability up in uh, the top line to give the central division a, a fair shake at our simulation. Okay. So we've got Line A, Barkov, Kane as our top line. And then I guess that would switch to be, if it was on yours, Huberto, Huberto, Aho, Pavelski, and I've got Huberto, Trocek, Pavelski. So we're going first line, second line of Carolina. Which uh, center do you want to take? Uh, This is a pretty good toss-up to me. What are your thoughts? My only thing would be, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I think it's also a funny little bit of a, a thing to have Trocek. Florida thought they were trading Trocek out of their division. I don't think they they might not have made this move if they knew they were going to have to play against him as much as they're going to have to this year. So I, I like that. That's a good storyline for us to have during our simulation. Okay, so we'll put Trocek on that second line? Yep, that works for me. Then that makes the third line. Uh, we both got Debrinkat. We both got Atkinson. And we said Stamkos in the center? Yeah, we'd, we'd move Stamkos. Yep. So our fourth line, we both have Forsberg. I've got Aho. You have Point. I'm okay with either of those being on there. What would you take there? Uh, honestly, I think since we both have Aho in our lineup, we'd probably just put Aho in that fourth spot. Okay. Because like, I think it was a consensus that we both liked Aho. We just disagreed where he went. So we put Aho in that fourth line spot. All right. And then we've got on the right wing, either Hornquist or Bobby Ryan. I'm okay with switching out Bobby Ryan. I think Hornquist might have the better skill. But I like Bobby Ryan as a player. I like his story. I kind of want him in the lineup. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I like talking about it, uh, honestly. And if he just has one of those statistical anomalies in Chell, we can use a little as a little bit of a storyline. So I'm into that. I think we leave him in. All right. So our offense will be Line, Barkov, Kane, Huberto, Trocek, Pavelski, Debrinkat, Stamkos, Atkinson, Forsberg, Aho, and Bobby Ryan. 
Plus, I'm, I got a little bit of a soft spot from hearing all the stories about Bobby Ryan in the Belleville Casino down in his conditioning stint with the Belleville Senators. So it feels like he's kind of has a little bit of a hometown connection. So we'll keep Bobby Ryan around. All right. Sounds good. I like how that line ends up. Do you want to start with your D or do you want me to? I think our goalies are exactly the same. I I looked, I'm going to admit, I looked at your goalies before I started doing mine. And I was trying to find one that I could change, and I, I basically I agree with you. So if you want to start with the D, and we'll just cover the goalies together. Sure. So I've got Yossi and Sergachev on my top line. I think Roman Yossi maybe hasn't had an ideal start to the season, but he's also playing on a team that's pretty weak. Or, well, I shouldn't say pretty weak, but not having the the season that they hope to. And then Sergachev has just been great on Tampa. Similar to Hedman, so I've got Hedman and Yandel on my second line. Yandel was kind of a throw-in guy. I wasn't really sure who to put there. So if you've got someone different, I'm okay with swapping Yandel out for someone. And then my third pair, I've got... Duncan Keith and Dougie Hamilton. Duncan Keith has just sort of been a staple of the NHL for a long time. And Dougie Hamilton has proven year over year that he's just a great defenseman. So it sounds like our gear are fairly similar. I kept with your rough idea of Yossi and Sergachev. I think that would actually be an unreal pair to get to see in real life. Obviously that won't ever happen. At least I don't think so. But I like how they would be able to play off each other. Uh, Sergeyev is poised to really start establishing his offensive game. Uh, so Yossi would be the perfect person for him to do that with. So I, I like that pair. My second pair is Hedman and Ekblad. Hedman uh, is just in the Norris Trophy conversation every year. And if he's not, he should be. I... Again, it's crazy to think a Stanley Cup champion can be slept on, but like, not a lot of people are are uh, catching a ton of Tampa games, especially this year. Victor Hedman can do it all on both ends of the ice. Plus, he's got that feisty, he can be a real physical player. I think you could build a team around Victor Hedman. So, he's a stud. Ekblad has been super inconsistent to start his NHL career. He's had some injury problems, but with Florida headed in the right direction, he's really proving that he's a number one defenseman, and it looks like the injuries are behind him. So I have him on the other side of this pair, and honestly, they're both a little bit feisty and mean, even though they have that high-end skill. I think that's a pair that anyone in the NHL would hate to play against. So I like how that shakes out. Now, one of the big differences we have is on our third pair. I uh, had Heiskanen instead of uh, Duncan Keith. I think Heiskanen might be poised to be uh, a Duncan Keith in the future. He can just munch minutes. He can have an impact on both ends of the ice. He just makes it look simple no matter how long he's out there. And then on the other side, like you said, I have Dougie Hamilton. He's been able to do everything. He's a big boy. He plays a good defensive game, but he has an unreal impact on the offensive side of the puck. 
He's been moved around a lot in his career, which can really hamper guys. But he always just seems to continue to play his game. And I think that's a huge credit to him. So he's a big part of my third pick. All right. I like your lineup then. I think we, we can just go right directly with yours. There's no debate there. Like I said, Yandel for me was kind of a throw-in just to fill fill that role, which, I mean, Ekblad, Yandel, they're kind of they're interchangeable, but um, you made a good case for Hedman and Ekblad being feisty together and being annoying to play against, and I love that in the team. And then Keith over Heiskanen. The only reason I didn't have Heiskanen in my lineup is that I drafted him on my fantasy team, and he's done nothing for me, and it bothered me and annoyed me. But if you've got faith in him, I'll I'll go with you, and we can throw Heiskanen into that third pair. I have high hopes to see Heiskanen be a re- really high-end NHL player in the future. I, I don't know exactly what about him necessarily sucked me in, but it just seems to be pretty simple to him. He plays like he's been out there for 800 games, and we both know that's not the case, so... Hopefully he continues on that trajectory and makes me look real smart for this pick. All right, sounds good. Do you want to go over the goalies? Um, yeah. So I think this is the first time we've completely agreed. We obviously have Vasilevsky as our number one. His inconsistency was still allowing his team to compete. So I think that shows just how overblown him being inconsistent really was. He's a great player. He's going to be the number one goalie in the NHL in the future. As far as things are concerned right now, at least, obviously someone can take that from him at any point. But uh, at this point, I, I don't see that changing, and he's got an unreal decor in front of him. So it, he's poised to be a real impact player for, for many years to come. And then it's real interesting, our next two. We have the Chicago goalie, Lana Kynan who's come out of nowhere and really allowed them to kind of salvage their, their year. They had no idea what they were going to do as far as goaltending. I had some high hopes for uh, Malcolm Subban to come in there and kind of salvage his career, but that doesn't look like it's going to be the case. And uh, this guy's really taken the reins and ran with it and allowed Chicago to return to relevancy in the division. I love the story, so that gives him – uh, our second spot. And then following that, we have Drieger, who's come absolutely out of nowhere to take the starting spot from Bobrovsky, who's on a huge ticket. So I think that says it all right there. I don't think the Florida Panthers were looking to not have Bobrovsky be the starting goalie. Drieger has really forced their hand. So... I'm excited to see that continue. Yeah, I think the one debate that I was having in my head was whether to put uh, Lankinen or Drieger in that number two spot behind Vasilevsky. But I think what it came down to is that, for me, Lankinen has slightly worse stats than Drieger. Like, he's he's pushing a 924 save percentage on the year, whereas Drieger is a 928. So that's, I mean, that's... Not much, but Lankinen is playing for a team that's not nearly as good as Florida. Florida is definitely the better team, I would say, and more solid defensively in front of him. So that pushed Lankinen above Drager into that second spot for me. 
Yeah, I actually had the exact same debate. I, I'll be honest, I was going to switch them just to disagree with you so we'd have something to talk about on the podcast, but I agree with that completely. There are some interesting players on Chicago's decor, but they are not nearly as strong as Florida. Uh, by interesting players, I'm talking about like your Nikita Zadorov and, and a lot of the vets they still have hanging around in in uh, Keith. But I just think that as far as talent goes, Florida really has the talent. All right. So I guess that rounds out our central division, which was a lot deeper of a division than I expected. It was a lot, uh, there was a lot more shuffling of players around than I had planned. I kind of originally made my lineup and then started looking into the players and ended up changing half of my lineup based on how players are doing this week or this year. So the central division was an interesting one to, to go through for sure. Yeah. Honestly, like, Barring a goaltending injury, they look like the new favorites in our simulation. I'm sticking with the Western as my favorite. I think that when we go through them next week, Colorado and Vegas together make up for the weakness that we see in Anaheim, LA, um, San Jose. Like, I think you could just slam those two teams together and compete against any other division. So I'm, I'm excited to go through the Western division yeah, and put that team together. Yeah, you're right. Actually, Those teams are unreal and you still have some real studs in the Western division without like spoiling it all for next week. Anze Kopitar is unreal. Yeah. He's doing it all by himself. Like the guy doesn't get enough credit. He's one of the most underappreciated uh, players as far as consistency. He's good every year, and about every other year, he's one of the best centers in the game. And if you go through and you look at his stats, literally every other year, he will have a, a real big year. And I don't know what is up with that. I don't know what's up with his training, but wow, that guy is something to watch. And he's getting up there in age. And I think the way he plays and that he's never really been a burner, you're going to see him continue to to be that player for a long time. And I think that's huge for the further development of the Kings moving forward. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to see where he's going to slot into your lineup. Speaking of exciting players like Anze Kopitar, I think we're both super excited for the Jays coming into this season. and. We're going to do a little bit of deep dive into the pitchers and players that excite us as far as pitching with the Jays moving into this year. So we've each gone through and picked out three players that we're going to highlight, and then we can just kind of chat about some of the other pitchers uh, that the Jays have. It seems like they they sort of tried to improve their pitching, and I don't know how much they did. I think they're really relying on some of their prospects panning out this year and I, I mean I hope that works out I always love to hear a good prospect story when they come up and and blow you away but I'm just I don't know if that was the right move I guess time will tell whether relying on your prospects or making a move is what's gonna win it win you a championship in this league 
Yeah, I would agree that that does concern me a little bit, but they are a young team, and I think you have to see what you have in these players. And uh, because they're young, I'm not going to say that I guarantee they're going to have a great season. So I think it's a perfect time to to see what we have in these guys because the, a lot of the position players are are going to make a step forward this year. So if we find out that we have uh, some real good prospects as far as pitching, that means this team is on a totally different trajectory and they might not need to go out and get somebody. So I think this is the perfect year to kind of explore and see what we do have as far as pitching. So I know you had looked in a little bit to Nate Pearson, who is, I would say, probably our top pitching prospect. Do you want to talk on him a little bit? So um, I think everyone's been hearing a lot about him, so I'm not going to try to reinvent the wheel on Nate Pearson takes. Basically, he's looking like he's going to be the Jays' number two as far as talent. Uh, this year, if he takes that, there's nobody where I'm like, this guy is going to fight Nate Pearson for number two. Basically, that spot is Nate Pearson's to have if he comes out and he does what he's supposed to do and is the player that everyone thinks he is. He's 24, so we could see some issues with that. And I think he's going to have a pitch limit uh, just because he's young. You want to make sure he's stretched out. You want to make sure he stays healthy and has a long-term career. He's a huge piece. It could be a future ace uh, for the Blue Jays. So I think you got to do your best to take care of the asset you have in Nate Pearson. And that's why we have so many relievers is so you can protect him a little bit. But the second spot in the rotation is his to take. And uh, by the sound of it, he's the kind of player that's going to see that as an opportunity. I did a little bit of a deep dive into Nate Pearson. And I, I love the attitude. Uh, him saying that his goal is to find a way to hit 110 with his arm when the current fastest pitch uh, thrown is is 105. Like, I don't know how attainable that is, but I love the attitude that he just wants to go out there and he wants to do things that have never been done before. And he's showing, based on his, his stats and the things he's been able to do and the injuries he's been able to come back from, that that might not be out of his reach. If he continues to be this de- determined, I don't think anyone can put too much of a ceiling on him. He fell to the Jays because of some injury concerns, but he hasn't really had a problem with that in the last couple of years, despite a freak injury where he actually fractured his arm. So I'm really excited to see Nate Pearson. He's got a, a three-digit fastball right now. Uh, he touched 103 in spring training. He's done really well as a reliever last year in the playoffs for the Jays. Are really throwing some heat, been able to to strike people out and have an impact on the game. So we'll see if he can transition that into being a starter and, and having multiple pitches. But uh, one of the big things I was reading in my deep dive is that because of the ability to throw that fast, a lot of his pitches that change speed there's such a difference between them it's really hard for hitters to adjust so like I was saying earlier this guy has a chance to be the future of the Jays as far as pitching and I'm excited to to see it he's been one of the Jays top prospects for a couple years he was 
top three in pitching prospects in 2019. So I uh, I can't wait to see this get started. And I hope he takes that second spot in the Jays rotation and runs with it. Yeah, and I mean, the, the numbers totally back up what you're saying too, where how batters just can't adjust between his speed and his other pitches. Because even in the minors, in 34 games played, he had 142 strikeouts. That's ridiculous. Like last year was his first day, first year in the majors, and he wasn't as good. But I mean, he's a young guy. It takes time to adjust to the the pace of a major league game. So yeah, like you said, I'm really excited to see what he can do this year in that second spot. And he'll be in that second spot right behind the first player that I'm going to highlight, and that's Hunjin Ryu. We're going to call him HJR. That's it. He's HJR from now on on this podcast, at least. I'm into it. I love it. Gives me that JVR vibe, and uh, I think it's going to be great. Make it a little easier to talk about him. Maybe you'll get some more time on the podcast because of it. Yeah. So HJR, obviously, he's a great pitcher. Everyone knows that. His stats are great. He was in the conversation for the Cy Young last year, and he's gone in the offseason and slimmed down, lost some weight. He's worked really hard on his on his pitching. It sounds like from everything that I've heard, he was super determined to improve his breaking balls um, and just become a harder pitcher to hit against. The one thing that I noticed when looking through his stats that I feel like maybe flies under the radar a little bit is that he doesn't have a whole lot of endurance. For, for an ace of a pitcher, he averages about five five and a half innings per game, which from your starting pitcher, your top-of-the-line pitcher, usually you want that six to seven innings, right? You want to get them to the seventh inning stretch, take that quick break, and then you can bring in your bring out your bullpen, especially on a team like the Jays, whose bullpen is questionable. I mean, they added a few pieces to their bullpen, but their their bullpen is still less than ideal. Still has um, some big question marks. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, and I mean, so he's in the Cy Young race last year, but I looked at some of the other pitchers that were in the Cy Young race. Trevor Bauer averages six innings. Jacob deGrom averages 6.4 innings. Hugh Darvish averages 6.2 innings. Uh, Shane Bieber, 6.2. So that extra almost full inning can have a huge impact on the game. So I'm hoping that in the offseason, that's something that HJR was working on. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with that as far as it's concerned with him. He's really been a bright spot uh, for the Jays as far as pitching. I I didn't think he could come in last year and have the impact he had, but you're you're right. Uh, Our bullpen kind of got gassed out at the end of last year in a shortened season. And if that's going to happen in a long-term full-length season, we're in trouble. We need to see him be able to go deep, be able to get to that seventh inning, just in order to give our relievers the ability to recover to make up for some of our lack of depth with our other starting pitchers. So that seems like a good spot if you want to talk on the new addition to our bullpen. So Kirby Yates, he's looking like he's probably going to be our number one guy to take over our closer position. He has 
been in those kind of situations, but we haven't really had a closer who could uh, consistently get it done or or stay healthy uh, in a little while. And I think that that's a huge um, thing for him. He's looking to have a little bit of a bounce back season coming off an injury and, and uh, a little bit of a slump in his numbers uh, for what he's used to. And being a closer has become a, a way more highly paid position in the MLB. And I think that allows him to focus in on, on wanting that role. He came to the Jays on kind of a prove yourself deal. And I think the best way for him to salvage his career is to prove that he can be that closer and be an elite level one at that. I, I like his stuff. I like his ability to throw the ball. And I think that, that that's huge. Uh, if he can come forward and be a real consistent closer for the Jays, you're going to see the Jays have a great season. Reality is if you have a high-end closer that can salvage uh, your lead in a lot of close games and get you those points, you have a big chance of having a good season. And, and I think the confidence will be great for all the young players on the Jays. The ball's in his court as far as can he take that closer position. And it'll be huge for the Jays if he does it. I have faith that he can do it. Obviously, he'll be a valuable reliever for the Jays either way. But I think there is a good fit for him there. And the, the next pitcher I'm going to highlight actually has a shot at being that closer too. But I think that Kirby Yates is probably going to be that guy. I also think he, like I said a little bit earlier, I think he probably sees it as an opportunity to make the money and really cash in on this opportunity he's put himself into with the Jays. So I want to see him take that step forward and, and be able to be that closer and really allow us to stay in the tight games late in the game. Yeah, I think you're right. He really is going to be a, a pivotal player for, for our bullpen. He adds a lot of skill to the bullpen that the Jays haven't had in years. Like I, it always seems like, oh, the Jays have decent hitting, but their pitching is falters and then their bullpen is just trash. And now we're starting to see that turn around a little bit with the, the acquisition of, of Kirby Yates. I'm also, uh, I was going to put this in at the end, but I just based on what we've been talking about, I think this is the right time. There's a lot of young prospects that are going to have chances in the Blue Jays bullpen. And I think a lot of those guys still have aspirations to be starters. Uh, Jordan Romano is one of the guys I'm going to talk about that I highlighted. But Ryan Barucki had some success as a starter a couple years back. He's going to be in the pen as a reliever or maybe uh, start in AAA. We'll see how all that works out. But there's going to be some competition in there. And young players, not guys just trying to reclaim their career, there are going to be some real players coming out of the bullpen for the Blue Jays this year. High-level competition, young competitive uh, with the chance to be elite type players. And I think that that's going to change the mentality of the Jays as far as their bullpen. And I'm, I'm really excited to see where that goes. Yeah, I agree. And that, that kind of is a good spot to lead me into to my next guy that I wanted to highlight. Um, and that's Julian Merriweather. He's a guy that 
last year was his first year in the majors, even though he's 29 years old. So you hear a fact like that, and you question a skill level, right? You're not making it to the actual majors until you're 28, and now you're coming into the year you're 29. But what I like about him and what actually has been talked about by Pete Walker, the the Jays pitching coach, is that they're looking at guys that can improve their home runs against. Because last year, the Jays were bottom 10 in in the league in home runs against. And a guy like Julian Merriweather came in last year and in the eight games that he played in, let zero home runs. Which, I mean, he's a he's a relief pitcher, so he's not playing a whole lot of innings. But I still think that the idea that the coaches are already focusing on players like that, I would imagine that we're going to see Merriweather get a lot of play time because he's a role player. He's not going to be an all-star reliever. He's 29. He's not going to be out there pushing for that top spot, but he's out there as a guy that the coaches can trust. And I think that's going to be important when you've got young guys that maybe will have their ups and downs. You can have this guy come out and just do his thing and throw the ball and not let home runs go so that the defense has a chance to stop the runner. I think it's also big to talk about that. Sure, he's just getting his first opportunity at this age, but you got to take advantage of your opportunities when you get them. And a guy like that who hasn't really had his opportunity, he knows that this is his chance. And not every player responds in the right way to that, but the ones that do, wow, there's something to watch. So I think that he could be an impact player on the Jays, plain and simple, because he knows that this is his opportunity to prove that he can be a major league guy. That's an interesting situation for the Jays to have. Yeah, I'll be curious to see how much playing time he actually ends up getting. And if he's able to perform consistently enough to push some of those young guys back into development for a, for another couple of years or another year at least, right? Or whether he gets overtaken by the young guys that are coming up through the system. I deal for the Blue Jays, honestly, to have a guy that doesn't make them force a guy into the lineup that maybe isn't ready to be there. Yeah, it's similar to what we're seeing with the Leafs right now with Robertson. They're letting him kind of cook in the minors for another year because they don't need him right now. They've got enough depth, and it's hopefully it's working out, right? So, the, yeah, the Jays are in a similar yeah, place like that. Yeah, I think that it is a little bit. So, yeah, that's exciting. When you're a team like the Jays who's not expected to win right now and they're trying to build something that is going to be competitive long-term, letting those players develop and mature is the right way. So I'm, a, I'm going to highlight a Canadian. I'm like, we're Canadians. It's exciting to have a Canadian on the Jays. So we're going to talk about Jordan Romano. He's from Markham, Ontario. So that's huge. He's a hometown boy. He knows exactly what the pressure is on the Jays as far as being Canada's team. He's done a little bit of bouncing between the major leagues and AAA, uh, but he, he really has the ability to throw the ball. I, I think they're going to transition him into full-time being a reliever. Uh, he did spend some time as a starter in, in the minor leagues, but I think they see him as a, as a reliever at the major league level. And 
that's a guy that I see having a chance to be that closer if things don't go that way for Kirby Yates or if the Blue Jays see a different fit for Kirby Yates. He has the ability to throw the ball really hard. That is honestly what you need out of a closer. They come in, you're hoping they only have to throw nine pitches. And when you only got to throw nine pitches, you can really throw the gas and not worry about lasting too long because that's not what you're in there for. And, and he has the ability to be one of those guys. And let's be honest, we've seen guys uh, go both ways as far as being Canadian and playing in a market like, like the Blue Jays playing at home. You can either take that opportunity and run with it and be a cult hero, or you can falter under the pressure. Uh, that's all. We're all going to see how that plays out, honestly. I'm not going to say that I think he's going to falter. I'm not going to say that he's going to be a cult hero, but I'm telling you right now that if he does take that closer position, he will be a cult hero, and he will bring things to a different level for the Jays. He's a good young player. Uh, obviously, he's not super young. He's, he's had some seasoning. He has the ability to uh, play multiple innings if they absolutely need him to because he has done that before. But I don't think that's where you're going to see him fit in as uh, a major league player. I was having a tough time getting some real good insights on him. I like the fact that he's been able to kind of continuously perform at whatever level he's been at. So I can see him continuing to progress. And I'm obviously always going to have a soft spot for him uh, being the Canadian guy. And you know what? I've been looking for a guy to get a Jays jersey, and I'm not that guy to get the jersey everybody has. Uh, when I got my Leafs jersey, I got a Morgan Riley. I want Jordan Romano to be the closer. So I can go to his Jays game, wear his jersey, and be like, I'm wearing a Canadian's jersey, and he's going to have an impact on this game tonight. And if he plays well, everyone's going to be talking about it. So, Jordan Romano, here's your chance. Force my hand. I want to get a new Jays jersey, so make sure it's your name on the back. Well, and it might almost be good for him, too, that they're not actually going to be playing in Canada. As much as, like, yeah, it's obviously, it's great if he goes out and has a good night and has all these Canadian fans cheering for him, but it gives him that leeway where if he does have a an off night or whatever, then there's not thousands of fans in the Rogers Center booing you off the field, right? You, If they're playing in Buffalo again, which I don't know if it's been announced, but I'm assuming they are. It I, gives I think you, they're starting the season in Florida. Oh, okay. They might go. To, they might go to Buffalo if it gets too hot or not sustainable in Florida. But that it gives you that sort of grace period where he can still develop for another year before having the full attention of the media and the Canadian market on his shoulders. Yeah, I feel like I always bring it back to hockey, but I'm I'm never gonna forget Tyler Bozak put out an article when he left and went to St. Louis. And he said he just signed with the Leafs as a college free agent. And he was riding the subway. And there was two 16, 17-year-old kids behind him. And they're like, that's Tyler Bozak. He did this and this in college. He's really good at the center ice position. 
in order to be an effective NHL player. He's going to have to work on his skating. He's going to have to work on this. He's going to have to work on that. But I have high hopes for him. And that's the kind of sportsman you have in Toronto. So I don't want to see things get overwhelming for Jordan Romano. So I think you're making a really good point there that this might be all right. He might have a chance to establish himself as a major leaguer before there's people in Toronto, you know, talking about him and whispering and being like, oh, he's struggling right now or or this or that. That's just part of being uh, in Toronto as a pro athlete, especially on the Jays or the Raptors, where you're Canada's team. And being a Canadian player, there's an even an added pressure. Given what I was able to read, I think he's going to be able to handle it. But you're right, this is an opportunity for him to build some confidence before he has to deal with the monster of the Canadian media. Yeah. So another another player that the Jays just picked up in the offseason uh, in a trade from the Mets that doesn't get that leeway. He's under the gun and under the eye of the media right away already is Steven Matz. So this is a player that early in his career was an all-star and up until 2018 or 2019 has been a really, really solid pitcher. And then last year came out and had the worst year of his career. He had an almost 10 ERA which, I mean, you want a good pitcher to be around the 2 to 3 area. So to be up around 9.68 was his ERA. That's not good. He's had some injury problems in the past, and I think that's that with the shortened season um, is what led to his bad year last year. But this is a chance for this guy to really reclaim old glory and put together another possible all-star season but even even if he doesn't put together an all-star season he's still the kind of pitcher that the Jays can slot in to our pitching lineup in that third fourth or fifth spot that you can just trust to go out and have a good night night after night it doesn't sound like the Jays are pushing him to have that all-star season I think they're just like we trust you you're a seasoned vet go out and do your thing play your game which I think is good, and I think that gives him a chance to surpass expectations. Honestly, um, I don't have a ton of expectations. I hope he can come in and contribute. He is a guy that can can end up being that number two and, and not force Nate Pearson into that role if he comes in and does what we've seen him do as a pro before. Sometimes guys just need to change the scenery, and this is his chance to prove that he just had a bad year and he needed the change of scenery. The Jays have spots for starters, so the the ball's in his court, as I've been saying throughout this whole podcast, because I guess I don't know anything else to say about it. He has the ability to step up and be that guy. I think there's also a chance for him to be a kind of a veteran leader. We have a lot of young pitchers. He's going to be able to coach guys through their struggles because he's obviously been there, done that before. And it'll be huge if they watch him reclaim his career uh, as far as confidence on our guys. Like, hey, if he can come out of that, we can come out of this too. And 
I think that'll be huge. I, I want to see the Jays kind of uh, go on a similar trajectory as some other pro teams and really surround their young players with uh, great vets that will allow them to understand, you know, what it's like to be a pro and that there's going to be ups and downs. And the reality of being a great player and not just a good player is the ability to bounce back from those tough years. Yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head with that one is that that is the the difference maker, especially in a sport like baseball where I think baseball plays more games than any other pro league, right? Like they play 180 games or whatever it is, right? So even just through the season you're going to have ups and downs. So to have a veteran presence on the team that can kind of kind of say, "Hey, you're going to you're going to turn this around like it's not the end of your season. Your season's not over. Sure, maybe you'll drop down in the lineup for a few weeks, but you come back and you work yourself back up, right? And that's the kind of effect that a veteran presence has. And he's right in the right sweet spot to be that guy. We have guys with aspirations to be all-stars. He's been an all-star before, so if he can have that bounce back, It'll be an eye-opener for uh, the young players of the Jays and allow them to understand a little bit about being a pro. And the sooner they have those realizations, the more impact it's going to have on their career. So for Steven Matz and for the Jays, I hope it all works out that way. Yeah. The one thing I I wanted to say about the Jays, uh, obviously we only did a couple pitchers. There are some other guys I wanted to highlight a little bit. We obviously bought Robbie Ray back. So Robbie Ray had a great start to spring training. He threw 24 pitches. 20 of those were strikes. This guy has a ton of gas. He's just had the tough time of staying in the strike zone. And he's walked a lot of batters uh, in his time with the Jays. But obviously... um, the Jays management thinks there is something there that they can reclaim and turn him into a great player for the Jays moving forward. And honestly, when he is on, he's showing you the player he can be. So if the Jays can get their development staff to help him come up with a strategy to allow him to continue to be effective, he's going to have a huge impact on the Jays. And obviously that's pretty up in the air. But that's why there is some optimism for the Jays is because if some of these guys they brought in can get to the form that the Jays believe they're capable of, this team is going to have some of the best pitching it's had in years. And wow, is their offense going to be potent. Well, yeah, and that's the other thing, too, is that looking forward to what we're going to go over next week with some of the, the batters and we'll highlight the other players is that they've added a few pieces and they've got a lot of young guys that will be hitting really well so that as long as they can be scoring points, it kind of gives these pitchers another bit of a buffer to, to develop even more because they've got points on the board from all the hitters, right? They don't have to worry about getting a strikeout every single time. They can just play their game. Yeah. I think you hear them say all the time, you know, it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to go out there and play my game. But you can't tell me that you don't feel better 
when you're sitting there up a few runs instead of being there and being like, I have to get us out of this inning because we're only up a run or we're down two runs, but I think we can get it back. And I think the Jays have the ability to, like you said, alleviate that pressure on those guys with their offense. So if all those things work out and the players are able to build the confidence, I honestly think this might be a more complete team than they're being given credit for. Uh, another guy that I'm pretty excited to to see what he's got this year coming off an injury because he was an interesting starter to watch two years ago was Ryan Barucki. I'm not really sure that he's going to to be a starter. He has been a starter for the Jays in the past, and he's still young. And honestly, I loved when he was playing two years ago. I felt like every time he was in there, he gave the Jays a chance to win. I liked his body language. I liked his attitude. I liked his stuff. I liked the variety in his pitches. The Jays aren't really sure on what he is as a major leaguer yet, but as a Jays fan, he's just a guy like you have those guys that are smiling and they have the body language. You're James Rymers that the fan base just gets behind. This guy has the ability to be that guy if everything goes right for him. And I'm super uh, intrigued to see where he's going to go this year and what kind of impact he can have for the Jays. I, I debated on highlighting him, but I read a little bit that he might start the year in AAA if, he, if the Jays decide that they want to continue to see what he has as a starter. And I wanted to highlight some guys that you were going to get to see more of. But if this guy is up this year, I think he's going to endear himself to the fans because he's just got the right attitude. He's got a lot of the stuff that makes fans fall in love with the guy. And for that, I hope Ryan Barucki has a great year. Uh, like I said, he was a lot of fun to watch two years ago when he was starting for the Jays. I thought he always gave them a chance to compete. And that's what you want out of a pitcher. Similar to your Tanner Roark, you just need him to come in, give you innings, and go deep into the game and allow you to compete. Uh, people say he gives Tanner Roark gives up too many runs, but by the sounds of it, the Jays are going to have the offense to deal with that problem, and you just need a guy who can go in there and have a couple games here and there where the relievers get to rest and you basically only see one reliever and the closer before the game's over. And uh, Tanner Roark has shown that he has the ability to be that guy. Uh, obviously, he had a tough year last year, and he's going to be around the Jays for a bit. I'm pretty sure they signed him two years ago. So I'd like to see him get back to that. And he's shown that he has the ability. So, again, the ball's in his court to return to form and, and have an impact on the Jays. He's one of those guys that's going to have an impact that's not super flashy. But if they go deep, in the playoffs, they're going to need a guy who can alleviate some of the pressure from the relievers, and he's definitely one of those guys. He really is. He's just a, he's a mature workhorse of a player that just kind of puts his head down and goes to work. He knows his role, and he plays to it. So earlier this week, we had the news come out that the Paralympics are going to be getting primetime TV slots. 
which I think is huge for Paralympic sports. And it's, it's big on, I think it's CBC and NBC to be giving that TV time to the Paralympics, which has never been done before. They've always just sort of been streamed online and then you can watch them on the weekends and see the highlights. So it's awesome that they're going to be getting primetime TV slots every night for this coming Olympics. Brett, you've participated in some adaptive sports. We've got an interview coming up with Dylan Lamoureux, who is an up-and-coming wheelchair rugby player. What's your take on the Paralympics getting more light shined on them? Honestly, I couldn't be more excited. This is a huge opportunity. Being a person with cerebral palsy from a small town, I didn't really have a person with a disability that I could look up to. You know, I try to be that guy for some people that I know that are younger than me, but I didn't have that guy when I was growing up based on how things were with people with disabilities just before I was born. That's not really a conversation for right now, but the reality is there wasn't a bunch of people that I could be exposed to that, you know, had the kind of life that, that I was expiring to live. And I fell in love with sailing at a really young age. I started sailing at the age of four. Before that, my biggest joke is I tell people I was the most competitive tic-tac-toe player on the planet because I just didn't have an outlet. It's hard being a, a male or even a female at that age. Oh, if you have that competitive nature and you have no outlet, it's tough. And I really struggled with it. And I took sailing and ran with it uh, because that was the only thing available in our community. But the reality about this situation is this being on TV is going to allow children with disabilities to see what is available to them. And I didn't have that opportunity. And I'm super excited to see people younger than me get that opportunity. We're going to have Dylan on in a little bit. And he was a driving force in us getting wheelchair rugby in our community. He talks about how we exposed to it. So I won't go too much into that. But the big thing is I didn't really have any exposure to other disabled sports. So I wasn't able to really be a driving force to bring something that I wanted to our area. And this is going to be different. You're going to see kids who are going to see a sport, see a person with a disability similar to them, be able to really grab something and say, you know, I'm going to bring this to my community. I'm going to get some people around me, and we're going to start this team. We're going to start that team. And that wasn't something that was available before. This is going to be huge as far as giving people with disabilities a role model, someone to look up to. Um, I started off this talking about how I didn't really have anyone like that. And I, I think it's super important to see people who are going through what you're going through excel. Society is moving in the right direction as far as things for disabled people. Uh, we obviously have a long way to go. There's a lot of things I would like to see improve. But this is a huge step. And I don't think uh, it's going to be talked about enough the impact on the mental health of young people with disabilities or just people with disabilities in general being able to see people like them excel at something 
represent their country and really be given the notoriety they deserve. There's a ton of Paralympic athletes that, that I do look up to and that I have had the ability to meet. Hopefully, we'll, we'll be able to have some of them on the podcast in the future. I actually have been able to meet some through my life in sailing and through rugby and different things like that. You have to meet those people in order to know about them. And in reality, is a lot of people look up to Sidney Crosby in Canada, and none of them have looked Sidney Crosby in the face. And I think people with disabilities deserve that opportunity. Uh, you shouldn't have to meet your hero in order to know that he exists. And this is going to be a huge step towards that. It's going to have an immeasurable impact. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. I think any time that sports that don't normally get highlighted on traditional media start to get highlighted, it progresses the sport forward. And, and like you said, it gives people new athletes to watch, which everybody that enjoys sports will enjoy seeing this on TV. Yeah, I think there's some sports that are really going to open the eyes of, of sports fans. Honestly, wheelchair rugby being one of them. Uh, it's just an interesting sport to watch. It's super uh, loud and high impact, and it's going to draw some attention. Now, some other things, like I'm going to admit right now that sailing, even able-bodied people, is not that entertaining for someone who's not a sailor to watch on TV. So I'm not expecting to get a ton of notoriety, no matter how good at sailing I get, because it's just not a great TV sport. But you're going to see some of these sports really show that they are good TV sports. And I think wheelchair rugby is right at the top of that. We've also seen over the years that Canadians are really territorial about what they consider their sport. And wheelchair rugby is a Canadian-invented sport. And I want to see Canadians get behind that the same way they do hockey and the World Juniors and really be like, this is our sport, and I'm excited to see our guys win. Our, our guys are super competitive. They have the ability to win. They compete at a high level every time they go out. And with the Canadian fans behind them, with how much force that they've shown over and over and over, I honestly think it's going to push our guys to the next level. Yeah, and like you, you mentioned that some sports aren't super good sports for TV, but I work in TV, I went to school for TV, I do all like the, the technical stuff, so I'm really excited to see wheelchair rugby and sledge hockey and these kind of big Canadian sports get more production value, whereas before, even when they're streamed online, typically it's like, one camera there's no fancy lights there's no music there's no commentator it's like one or two cameras just panning back and forth following the game and if you know the game then you can follow it but if you don't understand the game like i know wheelchair rugby has a few different rules so it'll be great to to have commentary and graphics and the whole production setup that comes along with primetime tv that will help fans that don't know the game get into the game because that's I'm really looking forward to that because usually when you produce sports that aren't typically followed sports they talk about the rules in the commentary they talk about oh here's some players to watch they they kind of go over all of these aspects of the sport that you wouldn't otherwise know so it's really fun to watch that and I'm excited to see 
how that's all that production is all going to come together because it brings a lot yeah, of value. Hopefully, uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to bring a ton. I also think it's going to mean a lot to uh, to young players trying to establish themselves in their sport. Being having better access to watching the high level players is going to make them better players. If you need a color guy that can be entertaining to cover some adaptive sports, I'm your guy. I'm super excited to to see somebody take that and run with it. I think it's a great opportunity for someone with a disability to have a role in something like that. You always see former players or or uh, players that didn't reach their potential have the ability to break down the game. And I think it's going to be huge for a person with a disability to be able to continue to be involved in their sport beyond their career. And I know some people who would do a great job doing that. Yes. You mentioned some young up and coming players that will be watching it on TV to get inspired. I think that's a perfect way to transition into our interview with, with Dylan. He's a a young up, up and coming player that, we'll have an opportunity to watch all of these guys and who knows someday might have an opportunity to play in the Paralympics with, with some of these players. Yeah. Shout out to the captain of uh, Quadzillas. We're super excited to have you as our first interview. And uh, I think everyone's going to enjoy this interview. We had a great time doing it. All right. So we're excited to have Dylan Lamer on as our first guest for the podcast. He's going to come on and, Tell us a little bit about his journey in wheelchair rugby and talk a little bit about the news as far as the Paralympics getting some TV coverage. So we're excited to have our first guest and uh, we're going to get started. Hey boys, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. It should be good. Pleasure to have you, bud. It's good to talk to you. Things have been kind of weird with all this COVID stuff. Yeah, it's definitely a little crazy. It's uh, haven't been training a whole lot. I've just been kind of doing everything on my own. I haven't uh played rugby and it's been almost a year now it's what day is it today the fourth so yeah i think everything's shut down on the 11th so it's coming up on a a full year where we haven't been able to play uh any rugby at all like on the court we everybody's had to do their own training like just weight training like even gyms haven't been open in canada so it's been a little crazy yeah, it's definitely been a challenge for for a lot of different athletes, especially with disabled athletes having some medical issues. You got to kind of try to stay safe. So I guess for our listeners that don't really have much of a background on wheelchair rugby, what would you tell them about the sport and uh, what should they watch for if they get the chance to see it on TV with the Paralympic TV deal? Yeah, so wheelchair rugby is a high-intensity, high-impact sport. It's uh, the only full-contact wheelchair sport that will be in the Paralympics. Well, the first thing I get asked when I bring up wheelchair rugby is uh, a lot of people ask, how do, how do you play on a pitch? How do wheelchairs work out there on a pitch? Well, it's actually played on a basketball court. A lot of the rules for wheelchair rugby is a bit of a combination of basketball, rugby, and hockey. It's kind of like if basketball and rugby wanted to have a baby together, but they couldn't, so they used hockey as their surrogate mother, and then a disabled baby was born. So, (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so 
it's actually a quadriplegic sport, so you have to have a limitation of uh, three limbs to play it. Each team has four players on the court, so there's eight players in total out on the court. When you play rugby, you get classified, so from 0.5 is the lowest you can get classified, and that's the most disabled athlete on the play, on the pitch. And then 3.5 is the highest classification you can get. So it's based on like your limitations and how disabled you are. So each team can only have eight points on the court. So each uh, team is built specifically around that, uh, like strategically. So there's there's two different types of chairs. There's the defensive chair and the offensive chair. The defensive chairs will have like this pick on the front of it. That's what we call it is the pick. But it looks like a, a big hook or like a rack on the front of the chair and then the offensive chairs will have like a big bumper on them those are the quicker faster players with more uh function to them so they can they're the usually the ball carriers and the defensive players will be the ones kind of clearing the path for them and making it easier on them to score a point so there's uh two cones at the end of the the court and in order to score a point, you have to carry that ball across into, in between those two cones. That that classification thing is interesting. I never I never knew anything about that. I don't know much about wheelchair rugby or wheelchair sports in general, really. But yeah, that I found that interesting because that's one thing I was curious about is sort of how do they like do you play against players that are in the same category or classification? But that's interesting that it's a points-based system like that. Yeah, so, like, a lot of the defensive players, they don't have, like, triceps or pecs or, like, core muscles at all. So they're put into the chairs where they can still play and keep up with everybody else. So they're they're given a lot of advantage with these, like, longer chairs that they can get their their picks in between the offensive chairs and kind of stop them so they can't moving a lot. Uh, I don't know if anyone, any of our listeners are aware, but actually Brett plays with me on the Quadzillas in Trenton, and he's a defensive player. And when he gets that pick in your wheel, you are not going anywhere, I'll tell you that. So my big claim to fame is the body weight. As long as I get a hold of you, I'm hoping to hold on to you. But hopefully coming into this rugby season, I'm a little bit lighter, a little more agile, but those are some big aspirations. Yeah, for sure. You can get there. I'll I'll push you. If if you ever want to get into the gym or anything like that, I I can push you. Just let me know. And especially when the when the weather gets warmer, we can get outside. And that's one of the plans for the Quadzillas this year. Is we're probably gonna just find some parking lots, and because the gyms probably won't be open either, so we'll just find some parking lots and get out there and at least throw the ball around and get get the uh, the chair moving around a little more and because I haven't even been in a chair in a year either so yeah so actually that was a really good explanation I I was going to do a little bit of one coming into the uh coming into the interview but you did a really good job of breaking that down so I'm probably going to leave that for our listeners to get from you because you you covered a lot of the big points and I think like Hayden said the grading system is is the big thing for me like playing other disabled sports, I really never found that 
to uh, be very fair. I, I lost some sailing races to guys who look like bodybuilders from the waist up and, you know, weighed all of 70 yeah. pounds. So that's kind of frustrating. And I think that that's something that has been really tackled in rugby and it's kind of an eye-opening thing for other wheelchair sports. So I, I guess the next question yeah. I was going to dive into based on that is, like, what what drove you to rugby when you looked around, you were looking for a sport to get into? What about wheelchair rugby made you go, you know, this is the sport for me that I'm going to invest my time and effort into? So, actually, wheelchair rugby is the first uh, disabled sport I was introduced to. So, I was injured in a car accident in 2014. And when I was in the rehab facility, I actually had a peer support come and bring me the movie Murderball. And uh, for any of our listeners out there, that's a great introduction to the sport, that movie. It's a documentary about the sport of wheelchair rugby. And it's also a, like a documentary about life after spinal cord injury. And uh, when I saw that movie, I just wanted to try it. I saw these guys having a blast. They're running into each other. I saw the intensity and the athleticism that it took to play this sport. And I've always been an athlete my entire life. So I was always looking around the fine wheelchair rugby, but being in a small community, uh, there isn't really a whole lot for disabled sports. And the only sport, disabled sport that we had was the, uh, the basketball. But I found with that is there was a lot of, uh, able-bodied people that would play it and when you're disabled and you're playing the sport they don't want to like and you don't feel like you're included like they kind of look at you like you're disabled and they don't pass you the ball and me being I, I'm a quadriplegic so my hands don't work and like I can't really throw the ball that well and when I saw wheelchair rugby it's uh we use I should have explained this in the rules but we we use a volleyball so it's a lot easier to throw around, uh, a lot easier to grip. So I found that a lot easier for me to play. And like I've always, me specifically, I, I've never liked basketball. When I was in high school, I'd always, every time we played basketball, I'd always be in the office because I try and body check people. So when I saw wheelchair rugby and they're just running into each other and having a blast, I knew that sport was for me. I wanted to try uh, sledge hockey as well, but uh, again, being a quad, I, I'm i not very good with the cold. My feet get like frozen, like turned in the ice blocks. I don't know if you have the same problem, Brett, but in the cold, my feet just, I can't stand it. So yeah. uh so, yeah, yeah, I've noticed just... that a lot of the sledge hockey players, like when you watch the team get announced, a lot of them have like our amputees, like they walk across the stage when yeah. the team is announced. So I just don't think it's a very good uh, fit for certain disabilities. And I, I definitely tried to give it a go to and I kind of felt the same way that like it just didn't really fit very well with, with my limitations. And then that kind of sounds yeah. like what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. They had so much function and like uh wheelchair rugby, it's a sport meant for uh quadriplegic. So that's I, I kinda knew it was meant for me and uh yeah, it's it's a sport where like you feel welcome no matter who you are. Like they everybody out there they're willing to help 
one another. Like, I remember my first tournament ever, like, everybody, even my opponents, they were, like, talking to me while I was playing, giving me points and kind of letting me know how the sport worked because I, I didn't know what was going on. I was just out there having fun. But they they uh, helped me turn up the intensity in my game and every, everybody out there is willing to help and make you a better person. So it's great. Yeah, I definitely noticed that compared to the other disabled sports I was involved in, uh, especially when I started to get a little bit better at sailing. Like, nobody wanted to talk to me. I was younger than a lot of the people. I didn't really kind of fit into whatever clique they had going on because I was out there being competitive and trying to win. The first tournament that I was in with you with wheelchair rugby, I was really surprised on how people uh, were so open and so excited to see new players. Uh, that's a totally different environment. It kind of changed my relationship with with wheelchair sports as far as that goes. And I think it's just a, it's just a cultural thing. Like it, it looks like it's something that's been going on within wheelchair rugby for a while. So it's just being continued on. And I think that's a great asset for the sport. Yeah, everybody's always willing. Like it's great to see the sport grow. And it's it's the most popular sport in the Paralympics because of how intense it is. And uh, Canada's always looking to make it like we always want to be the best no matter what sport we play so and we invented the sport uh canadians a bunch of quads are looking for something that that they would fit in because again they couldn't play basketball they wouldn't fit in very well so a lot of quads were kind of messing around in the gym and they picked up a volleyball and they started running into each other and then that's how uh, murder ball was formed you mentioned sort of how how it's one of the most popular sports in the Paralympics. How does that progression work? Like, how do you go from, I guess, playing in essentially a, a rec league to making the Canadian team? How does that line up? So it's it's kind of depends how much, like, potential you show. Like, uh, each team will have a, like, their coach or belong to, like, the committee on the Canadian Wheelchair Sports Association. So if your coach sees a lot of potential in you, then they're going to keep pushing you like our coach is Erica Schmutz. And she saw that I had a lot of potential. So she kind of pushed me to keep trying to get me to the next level. And then I got the invite to go play in nationals, which is a Canadian national competition. So I went flew out to Alberta that year, played in, there's two different separate divisions in, the national competition is the A division, the B division. The A division is a lot of uh, a lot of guys that are actually on the Paralympic team, and the B division is like a lot of next gen athletes and like prospects. So uh, it kind of opens your eyes to see like the the different like you're playing a rec league and you're just having a lot of fun, and then you go out and play in nationals and you see how intense it is and how how much work these guys put into their game and it kind of motivates you to do the same thing and uh so yeah like it's uh, i think a lot of it is word of mouth unfortunately but that's just how it is but if you just keep pushing yourself then i think you'll get yourself to that next level so that was kind of basically where the next question was going like uh how much of an eye-opening experience was that for you to go and kind of see it be more competitive and 
and see some of those guys that you played with before kind of at their highest levels. Yeah, I loved it. Um, I watched I watched a lot of uh, the Paralympics and Pan Am games when I was kind of new to the sport and just starting out. And uh, there's this guy on Team Canada, his name is Zach Medell. And he is an absolute beast out there. He's like a linebacker. He's got, um, he's missing his fingers and both of his hands and he's missing both of his legs, but he is an absolute beast. He'll have three defensive defensive players on this guy. He'll be out of it like nothing. And it's so cool to see these guys out there going as fast as possible. So it's, uh, yeah, it was definitely really eye-opening. I got I got to see a lot of guys I looked up to playing the sport, playing at their highest level, and I had a lot of fun doing it. And I can't wait till I can get myself to that level too. This last year, 2019, I was actually living in Markham, so I was able to play with uh, the guys, the Toronto team. And there's four players on that team that play with the. Team Canada, so they were pushing me every day to make me into the better player. And, uh, yeah, it's great to actually play with these guys at their highest level as well and see how they push each other every day. And uh, compared to, like, our tournaments that we have in Belleville, whereas everyone just goes out to have fun, it's great to see, be able to play with these guys at their highest level and help them to their Paralympic journey as well. So that's, I think that's uh, it's really re- rewarding on my part to be able to help these guys get to their level as well. So how has playing with some of these top-tier athletes changed how you focus on your training compared to before before having those experiences? Yeah, a lot of the time, like I was just having a lot of fun with it before and I didn't, uh, realized how much work actually went into it. I kind of was just long for it with the ride kind of thing. And uh, so when I started going out, uh, we were training. I went from training here in Trenton once a week to training five days a week out on the court. Four hours every time. We'd be out there doing 20-minute straight pushes and then uh, like an hour work worth of drills and uh, some more pushing. So. It's a lot of uh, cardio and a lot more than I was doing before. So if you can imagine just uh, being just your average jogger and then going to like a national track marathon or something and jumping right into that, that's kind of what it felt like. Yeah, it definitely helped my game a lot, uh, helped me build up my chair skills. So a lot of, a lot of, especially I'm an offensive player. So offensive players, you need a lot of chair skills to play. So what that is, is you need to know your position a lot more, like where the, be in front of the player or behind them or where exactly to sit. So they don't get the advantage on you. You always want to have the advantage on the player. And I learned that big time playing with these guys. Whereas before I was always getting beat to every ball or now I'm able to keep up a little more. So hopefully I can keep that going once uh, COVID is open again, but I'm probably gonna be a little lost out there. I think everybody will be, but 
Yeah, I think it's going to be difficult, but I think that also might be an opportunity for someone like you who's a little bit younger to have a chance to establish yourself. Some people might have kind of taken a step backwards who, who have other draws where it sounds like you've been fairly committed to, to this throughout the COVID. So you mentioned the next generation camp. What does it mean to you moving forward to get invited to something like that? And how does that kind of change your commitment to the sport? Yeah, so I was invited. The next gen camp was in 2019. Uh, I was at that. And hopefully with COVID, like it's, it's normally in the, the end of October that they have the next gen camp whenever the Toronto tournament is. So hopefully this year the vaccine will be rolled out by then and we'll be able to have another next gen camp. But the next gen camp is a week long, uh, like training camp where they have a bunch of prospects and a lot of guys that are kind of looked at by the coaches. And so when I was playing with the Toronto team, the coach for that team is uh garrett hickling and he's one of the most decorated athletes in wheelchair rugby and he put my name out there so it's it's great to be with the next gen camp because you're playing with all these prospects who are pushing each other and they're also trying to get to that next level as well so we're all pushing each other to be the better player and uh it's great to be out there because there's also the wheelchair rugby Canada nutritions and the physical therapists that are out there and they're they're giving you all these pointers uh, that you can use the put into your own game so nutrition and diet is a big thing of being an athlete no matter what sport you play in so it's great to talk to all their staff and it gets your name out there being with there's about four guys that play that are part of the committee for wheelchair rugby Canada on that are at the next end camp. So if you play well enough, I'll get your name put out there and then maybe be invited to play into the A division and nationals. And that's, that will get you a invite to the, to training camp for Paralympics. So so you're a perfect kind of fit for this episode because we're going to go into the Paralympics getting some more TV coverage. And I guess uh, one of the questions we have for you is is how does that change kind of your commitment? What do you think that means for adaptive sports moving forward? Uh, like, do you see this as a big step or do you, do you think this is just part of the progression moving forward? I think it's huge, like, I remember in 2016 when the Paralympics were going on and Canadian Tire put out this ad, this uh, commercial, and it's really the first commercial to promote the Paralympics. And it was, I don't know if you remember it, but there was like a bunch of kids playing basketball in the backyard and there was this kid that moved into the neighborhood and he was in a wheelchair and this kid saw that. So the next day the kid in the wheelchair goes out to the front porch and there's a basketball sitting there and he hears all the kids playing in the back. So he grabs the basketball and goes out there and all the kids are like sitting on like scooters and uh, like wagons and stuff like that. And they're all wheeling around and 
I remember seeing that and thinking, wow, this is great. Like, this is the first time that they've promoted anything for Paralympics. And uh, I think that was a eye-opener for the community. And it kind of let everyone know, like, hey, like, disabled people can play sports too. And it's huge that we'll be able to turn on the TV and the first thing you're going to see is a bunch of disabled athletes and seeing what we're capable of and what we can, the limits that we can push ourselves to and kind of let you know, know how fun that we're having with this and how intense it can be. And I, I think it's, it's a huge step forward for the community and for sports everywhere. And I think hopefully it will inspire corporations to like sponsor and get some more funding towards sports because uh, adaptive sports is extremely expensive for any athlete playing it the especially wheelchair rugby the chairs cost around eight thousand to ten thousand dollars so if you can get any type of sponsorship to play it that's great and it's gonna be huge for teams and athletes everywhere yeah, so, I, like, from my personal experience growing up being a sports fan, it wasn't something that was super easily accessible, and I think that I hope that changes. I, I know a lot of kids who should have been more engaged in different adaptive sports, and, and they didn't really have any ability to get started, and there was a lack of motivation because they didn't see where it could lead. I think that everyone knows that the Paralympics exist, but just because it doesn't get the the TV coverage, there's less people, uh, less kids being like, hey, I want to grow up and be that guy. And that's what I kind of want to see moving forward. Someone like you can go out there and impress. Hopefully we get to talk about that in the future and, and then hopefully lead to someone who's younger watching and being like you know i can be that guy there's a chance for me to have that impact yeah for sure hopefully it can lead to uh it being in the eyes of a lot more people and it being televised a lot more unfortunately uh, i kind of use like women's sports as a example for this like a lot of people a lot of macho men are gonna say like oh i don't want to watch these women play sports and they unfortunately might think the same thing for uh, disabled athletes as well. So hopefully that's not the same case. And hopefully we can get some more coverage for women's sports and for di- disabled sports everywhere on every channel. And and the future can spread positivity across the world. And it will get kids involving disabled people a lot more into the sports also. I think it will help the inclusion uh, in schools and hopefully end a little bit of bullying. I guess that's never going to happen, but hopefully it can help a little more and kind of show these kids that we're humans too and that we can do the same thing that they can do. Normalizes it. Attacks the stigma yeah, exactly. a little bit, right? Yeah. So I guess the last question or one of the last questions is uh, – does the TV coverage change your aspirations? And like, what are your aspirations for the next, you know, 10 years or so? Like, what, where do you want to see yourself be? So it's always, it's always been a goal of mine in my entire life to play 
for my country. Like that, that was huge. Right now I'm in school. So my goal right now is to complete school. I got a year left on that, but I'm going to keep continuing my training as well. Hopefully, ideally, I'd like to work with uh, behind the scenes with adaptive sports or something I can do remotely so I can continue training full time. My goal long term is to be able to play for Team Canada. Uh, there's going to be a lot of training and hard work to go into that, but I'm going to need to commit myself a lot more, uh, continue training. I do six days a week weight training right now. So I like to be able to continue that as long as well as add in the on the court training uh, about six days a week as well. So I want to be able to commit myself to a career and put myself, put my name out there is like I said earlier is the biggest thing in the sport. So I want to be able to show them that I can, compete on the next level and bring the the team to a gold medal. That's every, that's every athlete's dream. And that's what I want to be able to do is help the team bring a gold medal, put us back onto this top of the sport that we invented. So first off, like back to the point that Canadians invented it. I think that's, that's super cool. And Canadians definitely hold those sports close to themselves. We see that with hockey. And I think yeah. you can have that same culture as far as wheelchair rugby, as long as we get that messaging out there, you know, this is our sport and we've had some dominant athletes and we continue to have high level athletes. And I think that if we're going to continue to push the, the news coverage, that's a big conversation we need to have is that wheelchair rugby is, is a Canadian sport and Canadians should be proud of what we've been able to accomplish. Definitely. Yeah, that's a great point. So to finish off, I just want if if Team Canada or or somebody's listening, what do you want them to know about you as an athlete and and your your commitment to the future? Um, I'm a, I'm a team player. I'm always looking out for my other fellow athletes. I want to make sure that everybody's playing to the best of their ability. I work hard. And I want to continue working hard so that we can be on top. And, yeah, we're going to get gold medal. And I kind of feel like I'm talking in circles here. <laughs> but uh, as long as we're out having fun and we're pushing each other, that's the most important thing. Yeah, I think uh, back to the culture a little bit, it sounds like you kind of exemplify that culture we were talking about, how you want to make sure that you bring everyone along with you on your progress. and. I think that's huge for the sport going forward. So hopefully we can have you back on when, when things go well for you and you take another step forward in your career. We're super excited to have you. You're our first interview. So you'll you'll always have that in your back pocket. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me, boys. It's been a lot of fun. I did want to ask you, Dylan, if you've got some time. Every week we've been doing this segment where it's locked in or left field, where we've got a list of a bunch of random sports questions. And we say whether we think it's locked in, like absolutely going to happen, likely going to happen, unlikely going to happen, or a lost cause. Would you be down to, to answer a few questions with us? Sounds good. This is Locked In or Left Field. 
Actually, we can start with one we, we don't have, because I know that Dylan's a Habs fan, and we've had some <laughs> conver- conversations about it in the in the past. What are the chances that you think Carey Price returns to his elite-level form? Obviously, there's some concerns about that right now, but I honestly think that if Team Canada were to start up tomorrow, he's still everybody's goalie. So do you think that he's going to return to to that high-level form? Yeah, I think he will. I, he, he he always seems to have this like slump. Like every year, he goes through a slump. I don't know what it is with him. I don't know if it's. I don't want to seem like superstitious, but the like those red pads, he does not play well with them. Every time he's plays in those red pads, he just doesn't play well. I think it's like players just can see the net better behind them, or I don't know what it is. But hopefully with the firing of the new coach that it can kind of open his eyes a little more and he can get to that next level. But yeah, I think he can get there. It's just, uh, he needs to get out of his head a little more. That's what the big thing is. So I haven't actually had a chance to talk to a, to a Habs fan about that yet. Um, what do you, what did you think when you heard the news of the coach firing? Um, I, I've, I've been wanting Kirk Muller to get fired for years now. Like the power play is terrible and he's the one that runs the power play. So I've been wanting that to happen. I kind of figured that the firing of Julian was coming, like, especially they started the year so well and then everyone started picking up on their play and he didn't know how to work around that. So I I like the move. I I've always liked Ducharme, so it's interesting to see how he's gonna uh, coach a team moving forward. Cool. So Brett, what do you got on that? Is that likely, or what do you think about about? I still have it as a lock. I I think that he's he's a high level player, and it just looks like he's he's in his head a little bit right now, and like he's your ideal goalie to take to a goalie camp and show a young kid what they need to do moving forward. And I just don't think you he can lose that long-term. I think he's working a little too hard right now and not relying on his his basic knowledge. I think he just needs to get back to that. And it's a lock that he, he's going to be an elite goalie for at least a couple more years. Yeah. And hopefully five more years, because that's how much years I got on his contract, that crazy contract he's in, so... Yeah, and that's perfect because that contract is why I have it as a likely. I don't think it's a lock that he's coming back. I don't know. He's starting to get older, but I think it's likely he yeah. comes back just because he's still got so much time on that contract. He has to. Yeah. Like they're they're relying on him to come back. So I think it's I think it's Definitely. likely that he does. All right. So Brett and I are Leafs fans. Do you think that Sheldon Keefe could win Coach of the Year this year? Uh, I think it's likely. He's definitely he's got this the know how the and the team in front of him like the I hate to say it but their team is unreal this year and uh, being a Habs fan I hate seeing the Leafs do well <laughs> you guys feel the same way about the Habs you when you you guys probably crap your pants when the season started you saw how well they were playing but uh, yeah I think it's likely. Uh, he's got the team in front of him to do it, so we'll see how this season plan- pans out for him. Do you want to jump into that first, Hayden? Sure. Uh, so I've got that as likely as well. I think I would – I'd be border on putting it as a lock, I think. 
because through all the injuries that we've had this year and they've still played well, I, that's got to come down to the coaching. I don't know how much of that is Sheldon Keith versus the team that they built around him, but I think that that puts it as a, a very likely. So actually, I guess I'm going to be a liar here. I kind of have it as an unlikely. It just seems to me like in order to win coach of the year, you have to have a team that didn't have very high expectations that overperforms. And I, uh, a lot of people had the Leafs winning the North Division this year, uh, even though that kind of made me nervous as a Leafs fan. So I think it's going to be hard for him to win because everyone expected the Leafs to be this good. Uh, where it tends to be like when Barry Trotz goes and, and goes to the Islanders, there's a lot of talk of him being coach of the year because the team wasn't very good. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm at. I don't know that it's possible to win coach of the year these days in the NHL when you're supposed to be a good team. I don't necessarily agree with it, but that just seems to be how it's been going the last few years. I think uh, Peter, Peter DeBoer, or is that how you say his name, the Golden Knights? I think he has a good chance of winning coach of the year this year he's done a done a good job turning that team around like they've been on top basically since they joined the league but um it was this year he just became coach isn't it or last yeah. year i think so it was part I, of the way through last year but this is his first full gonna be his first yeah full season. so i think he's done a good uh job of teaching uh coaching that team and making sure they're on top of the division like they have a pretty tough division as well so I think they've done a a good job over there yeah actually there's been a lot of turnover on that roster despite them being good so that is a good point all right so and Brett and I earlier on or in the episode we're going to be talking about uh, the Jays a little bit so we'll switch over to baseball I don't know how how much you know baseball but do you think Trevor Bauer has a chance to win the Cy Young Award again in back-to-back years uh yeah, I I I, I want to say likely. Uh, I don't know. The Jays got a unreal team this year, so we'll see if they have enough guys to put them in the running for the Cy Young this year. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's likely. Yeah, so that's I I've got it as unlikely right now, just because Trevor. I don't I don't like Trevor Bauer. I think he's a little overrated, but he won yeah. the Cy Young last year when it was the shortened season every other pitcher had kind of a shitty year and then he comes in and has a good year i think that that kind of skews all the data in his favor when everyone else had mediocre years yeah true so i actually have this as a lost cause uh trevor bauer concerns the hell to me like what kind of high level athlete has to sign one year deals to to be motivated. He has a ton of distractions off the field. He got injured playing with a drone and now he's on a multi-year deal making a ton of money. So I don't know that he's going to be the same player. It concerns me that he needed to do do that one-year deal stuff in the first place. So I don't know that he can continue to uh, do that moving forward. All right, cool. Well, that's all the questions I've got, unless you've got any more in the chamber. I can throw another quick halves one if you're down for that, Dylan. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Um, 
So we've seen Dominic Ducharme be, uh, be a, a good coach for the World Juniors and at the junior level. Do you think he sticks around and ends up being the head coach? I'm pretty sure he's just the interim coach right now. Yeah, he's the interim right now. When he, I, th- I think he's got the potential to be, there's a lot of young players on the roster, so I think he's got a potential to turn them around and put them to the next level. It's kind of the same thing with Sheldon Keefe. He was he was interim when he first joined too, right? Yep. Yeah, so I, I think I think there's potential there that they want to test the waters to see if he can uh, turn the team around and put them to their level. So, uh, yeah, I think that's likely that he can stay around. And I like I actually thought that's what they were going to do when they first brought him in is they were going to make him head coach right away. So, and he's been there for a couple of years, so he already knows the roster pretty well. And I, I think he's got the potential to do it. And like you said, he's got three, two or three Memorial Cups. I can't remember how many he has. He's got a couple with, I think it was Owen Sound he's got one with, and he's got another one with uh, in the QJHL or what, QMJHL, whatever it is. Yeah, I think with Halifax, where they had McKinnon and Drew in, if I, if I remember yeah. correctly. So he, he's. He's got the know-how to do it, and as long as he's got the team in front of him that want to perform for him, I think he can stick around. All right, Brett, what do you got on that one? So I think I got it as a, a likely. Uh, we've seen the Habs kind of struggle with getting the right coach that could do all the things they need to do as far as media-wise and speaking French, and I know that's been a narrative, and Everyone's probably sick of hearing people talk about it. I'm going to talk about it for a second. But um, I've seen them kind of step forward and and decide that they're going to, if that's going to be the case, they're going to develop coaches uh, within the ECHL and then AHL and then in the NHL. And that might be their best strategy moving forward if they absolutely need a French-speaking coach. I don't know why they're completely anti-interpreter, but that's how they feel, and I think if they want to be successful with coaches at the NHL level, they need to develop them, and uh, Dominic Ducharme's been on quite the development path. He's been the coach uh, for the World Juniors uh, with Canada, and he spent some time with the Habs, and I think this is his chance to show that he's developed, so I have it as uh, likely that he stays. My only concern is if uh, things continue to fall apart, as they have been lately, and hopefully they don't, because uh, as much as I don't want to hear for the Habs, I do want to see Carey Price have some NHL success in his career. And But I I am concerned a little bit that they lose their GM and then their GM brings in his own coach. But that all depends on how this season really finishes out. So I've got it as likely, likely as well. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, the only reason that I don't have it as a lock is that Gerard Gallant is still on the market. And I think that the moment uh, Ducharme waivers and come, if they don't come back from the slump that they've been in, then next year, there's a solid chance that you see Gallant take that head coach role. Yeah. So we've seen Gallant have a couple of different opportunities. And uh, for some reason, 
he just has a tough go. So if he hopefully we see him stick somewhere, maybe that is the Habs. I don't know if you're going to see him go to a place like the Kraken ever again. Obviously, he had a tough go uh, with Vegas. So I can't see him being involved in another expansion. Yeah, good point. All right, so I guess that'll wrap up our uh, locked-in or left-field segment. Thanks for joining us for the interview and for the this segment, Dylan. We appreciate it, and uh, obviously wish you the best in your career. Um, sounds like you've yeah, got thanks. the right mindset, so we're looking forward to seeing you on Team Canada one day. Yeah, thanks a lot, boys. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, look forward to the next time. Yeah, it sounds good, bud. Hopefully talk to you soon. It's been a pleasure having you. All right, so I guess that wraps up our show. A little bit of a different format this week uh, with the interview added. We're hoping to do some more of that throughout uh, throughout the, the run of this show. You can always follow us on Instagram at The Fanalist Podcast and Twitter at TFanalist. We're also on YouTube at The Fanalists. I've been posting some of our segments broken down with some video elements on YouTube, so if you want to check us out there, that'd be great. I also want to give a huge shout-out to Adam Corky on YouTube. I've been working with him to help build some of those video elements for our YouTube. So if you want to check out his YouTube page, he's also got a podcast called The Slice of Life. All right, speaking of our community, I'd like to shout out at Josie Jets on Twitter. She, like, always retweets our stuff and supports us. Uh, it'd be super great if she reached out with some questions for our Locked On and Left Field segment about the Jets. I know she loves the Jets. We appreciate her support. We appreciate her retweets and likes and or listens on the podcast. We'd love to shout out more of you guys, so make sure you keep uh, being involved in our content so we see your name a lot. Like I said, I see her constantly retweeting and, and liking and interacting with our stuff, so I'd like to shout her out as being our biggest fan right now, and hopefully uh, she can reach out and give us some Jets questions for our Locked On and Left Field segment. Also, I'm hoping we got... I'm hoping we got some new uh, listeners that came in to, to hear what Dylan had to say about wheelchair rugby. It was a great interview, and uh, I hope you guys continue to kind of follow along with what we're doing. Um, it'd be great if you guys continue to uh, listen, and feel free to also submit questions for Locked On and Left Field. We're always looking for uh, different takes on different teams to, to dive into. Uh, we don't want to drown you guys out with all the, the Leaf stuff. And obviously, uh, that's just where our minds go at different times. So reach out with segments for us to do uh, about your team. And we'll make sure that we work those in so that you guys feel engaged in what we're doing. All right. Thanks for tuning in. And join us again next week. <laughs>